Hello, welcome to another edition of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. Tonight, we discuss the legend of Gore Orphanage. This one's going to be good, so get ready. The next episode is about to begin. Hello, welcome to another edition of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. I'm your host, Dan, and with me is my partner, Mike. Mike, hello. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing real good. Well, it's fall here in northern Ohio, and this is when young men and women's fancy turn to, you guessed it, trudging through muddy woods in the middle of the night or going to Gore Orphanage. You know, I've heard of this story, but I really don't know a whole lot about it. Did you ever hear about Gore Orphanage growing up? I thought it was, yeah, that it was an orphanage in Vermilion. Where's it at? Uh, it's on the outskirts of Vermilion. Okay, that's about all I know. When you were growing up, did you have a local legend or did you have a place where the teenagers would go to and kind of be creeped out? Yeah, in Kirtland, there were the uh, Melonheads and there was actually an or- orphanage out there. I think the Melonheads were the result of a burned down orphanage. Maybe that's where I'm confusing the stories. And didn't the Melonheads, wasn't part of that a creepy old man who yes. conducted experiments yes. and encephalitis somehow and played a part? Yes, and that's probably where I'm getting the two mixed up and confused. Well, we'll have to do an episode on the Melonheads. Okay, we but can do that. For tonight, we're dealing with Gore Orphanage. Let and me hear it. If you grew up in northern Ohio, there's a chance that you probably heard of Gore Orphanage. And there might even be a chance that you went to Gore Orphanage when you were growing up. It's something of an urban legend here in northern Ohio. And the reality is, it's a place where kids would go to kind of test their bravery a little bit. Or there might be a girl in the car and you accidentally run out of gas in the middle of this deserted country road. But that's what it is. It's a dead-end road. And there's a lot of legends and rumors and stories that are associated with this location. So the story of Gore Orphanage, the actual truth of the story. Is it, it's in the, I'm sorry, it's in the woods? Is it in a, like an isolated place? It is, it is relatively isolated. So let's talk about where Gore Orphanage is. All right. So Gore Orphanage sits along the Vermilion River. The orphanage today is really not what most people think. Then we're going to get into that a little bit, but that's where it's at. It is in the woods. It's on a dead end road. Part of the Lorain County Metro Parks today, but it Mm. is in the woods. Okay. And it was even further isolated when it was built a lot of years ago. So let's start with the actual truth of Gore Orphanage. And then we'll talk about the legends. The orphanage known as Gore Orphanage was distinctly separate from the mansion that was built and eventually burned down. People today associate that with Gore Orphanage. They call that Gore Orphanage, but that's really not true. Okay. The actual orphanage itself was a little bit further off-site, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And it's but related to this mansion. There's it a is. Connect, a connection here. So we're going to just collectively call this location Gore Orphanage, okay. even though it's kind of a broader part. Okay. So tonight we're going to talk about Gore Orphanage. Let's tell the truth about Gore Orphanage. So the truth of Gore Orphanage is that there was a guy by the name of Joseph Swift. And Joseph Swift was born in Massachusetts, and he came to the Western Reserve, and he was deeded this land for his involvement in the War of 1812. He traveled from Massachusetts to Ohio. On foot. On foot. 
And it took him nine weeks. Nine weeks. And all he had was a horse and a pack. Wow. And so he set off on foot by himself at age 23. Wow. So he comes from Massachusetts all the way to Vermilion, Ohio. Can you imagine nine? How long? Nine weeks? It took him nine weeks. And now it takes how many hours to do it? You know? A matter of, you could probably get it done in under a day. So unlike Steppenwolf, he isn't hitting the highway. And That's right. That's right. <laughs> And when he arrives, he's surprised that he found it's wooded. He owns woods, 130 acres of just wooded land. The land was in the Vermilion River Valley. And they called this particular area Little Egypt because it would flood every summer, just like the River Nile Mm -hmm. does in in Egypt. But this place was called Little Egypt. And this is the land that he he was deeded. So he sets out to clear the land. Now, he meets a woman there, and he marries her. She was a local girl. So he builds a cabin, and he sets about clearing 130 acres of woods by himself. Wow. And what he would do is he would what they call girdling a tree. And if you're familiar with girdling a tree is you take the bark around a ring around the bottom of a tree, and the tree will die. So the tree would fall over, and he would cut it, and he would haul it. But he was an entrepreneurial guy at his heart. So what he started doing was burning these trees. And at that time, Ohio had a lot of hardwood. There were large strands of hardwood that would just completely, totally dominate the landscape of Ohio during that time. So, forest, forest City. Absolutely. So Forest City. So he begins cutting these trees down. He burns the trees down and the resulting ash was what they call potash. And potash was used in Europe for different manufacturing processes, including, I think, glass making, as well as uh, I think they used it for making soap and I think maybe even ammunition. But he would sell this to the European market. So he began to generate income at the same time he's clearing this land. It took him 20 years to clear this land. So he finally, he's on the home stretch. He's almost done when he builds an elaborate mansion called Rosedale. And Rosedale was a Greek revival-style mansion. It was completely elaborate. It was ornate. It was an architectural marvel. Was he? Did he have architectural knowledge? He had some architectural knowledge. So he graduated in, from Williams College back in Massachusetts. So he was an educated man. Yeah. Wow. And he had to have some kind of refined taste to know that he wanted this elaborate mansion. Did he build? He built it himself, or he, did he? He did not build it okay. himself. He had it. Uh, an architect designed it, and then he okay. had craftsmen okay. come in and build it. And okay. what was kind of cool, he had the columns imported from Europe. It was really a nice, elaborate mansion. So Joseph Swift and his family begin to live at Rosedale. It was named for Rosedale because of the beautiful rose gardens that his wife had planted throughout the whole landscape. People would come from all over the world to see this uh, this elaborate Rosedale. And this is still out in the middle of nowhere in the woods? Still out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the woods. Now, understand that this mansion is in farm country, and some of his neighbors really didn't know what to make of him. Here's this Greek revival-style mansion in the middle of farm country. Yeah, exactly. He built it in the River Valley, and he would go on to farm some of the land. In fact, he was known for having the best farm in the whole county, and he would serve on the board of the directors of the local agricultural society. But all was not well for Joseph Swift. So the neighbors really didn't know what to make of him. 
And they began to derisively call this land Swift's Folly behind his back because they thought he was going to lose everything. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. So he made some poor investments in railroad stocks. And unfortunately, his family would lose everything and they were forced to move out of their beloved Rosedale. Where'd he go? He went into the neighboring town of Vermilion. So he didn't move far. But it was certainly a step down from an elaborate Greek revival style mansion in the middle of the woods. And he was a, he was a farmer. What did he do for a living after that? Um, he had enough money he could retire. Okay. By this time, he was a little bit older and he was probably worn out from 20 years of cutting and felling trees. So he lost a lot of money, but he still had enough to live on. Still had enough money okay. to live on. Okay. So this now we're going to enter the Wilbur family. And the Wilbur family, they were a little bit unusual as compared to the Swifts. The Wilbur were known as practicing spiritualists. And at that time, the spiritualist movement wasn't all that unusual, but I'm sure it was unusual for middle America. And this is where the story gets spooky? This is where the story gets spooky. So the Wilbers had a son who lived in the nearby town of Berlin Heights. And their son also had kids. In a tragic twist to the story, four of their grandchildren would pass away from a diphtheria epidemic. Within a week, they would lose four of their grandkids. That's incredible. Now, there's, here's where the story gets a little interesting. Nobody is sure 100% where the kids died. Some people think, in newspaper accounts, somewhat hint toward them passing away at their parents' house in Berlin Heights, while some people think they passed away at Rosedale. And can we see their ghosts? Is that, does it turn into a ghost? Do that's kind of where you're jumping ahead a little bit. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what's going to happen. The ghosts are said of the kids are still said to haunt Gore Orphanage today. So in short order, they lose tragically four of their grandchildren. And this, while the story is probably not unique or even native to the area, that doesn't lessen the impact and the tragedy of losing four grandkids. Yeah, absolutely. Mrs. Wilbur said that it hit her particularly hard. She would continue to serve plates of food to the missing grandkids and speak with them as if they're still in the room. She would maintain beds and... She would act as if the kids were still there. And they said that she was inconsolable. And she's going to play a part in the story a little bit later on, too. Not too many people know this detail of the story. After that, the Wilbers decide they've had enough and they're going to move out. Within two years of losing their grandkids, it was too much for them to bear. They now sell Rosedale. So they are now passing the mansion on again. However, after they sell it, it remains vacant. Enter now act number three. The Sprungers enter the scene. There was a guy named Reverend Sprunger. He had started an orphanage in Indiana, which, curiously enough, burned down under mysterious circumstances. Mm. So the Sprungers come from Indiana, and they decided to start an orphanage called the Light of Hope Orphanage. And what they wanted to do was build a complete self-sustaining orphanage. It was over 500 acres. Now, it wasn't the same land, exactly the same land that the Sprungers had left them, but this was 500 acres. There was a lot of land. And the, the mansion and some farmhouses were part of, the, part of the whole story. There were two houses. One was the boys, boys' dormitory, and the other one was the girls' dormitory. 
from all accounts, it didn't sound like it was an exactly spectacular life for the kids. In fact, there was reports of abuse. There was some horrible food that was being fed to them, as well as stories that the kids were routinely farmed out for labor Wow, to neighboring farms. So it sounds like maybe the economics of it all, they were trying to leverage these kids for labor just for the money. There was an investigation that was held into the poor living conditions. And while no charges were filed, it was clear that Reverend Sprunger had to clean up his act a little bit. He tried to do that, but it, it wasn't in the cards and he would pass away shortly after that. Before he passed, though, there were stories that had started to creep out that the kids were not happy. In fact, they would try to escape at night by walking through the Vermilion River Valley in the dark, in the middle of the night. It had to be an act of bravery. I've been in the Vermilion River in the middle of the night, and uh, it takes a little bit of metal to uh, to make it through there. I can't imagine being an eight-year-old kid walking through the Vermilion River with no light and in desperate hopes to get to safety. Conditions must have been pretty bad for him. Conditions really. had to be horrible. I mean, to do that. So the Sprungers orphanage uh, didn't end well. Reverend Sprunger passes away and they close the or the entire orphanage within two years. The mansion remains vacant and vandals and vagrants moved on in. With the mansion now in disrepair, it caught fire and burned under mysterious circumstances in 1923. Interestingly enough, the local newspaper headlines read, Haunted house destroyed by fire. So even back in 1923, this place had a reputation of being haunted. And what I think is interesting is that reputation has survived that long to this day. A hundred years. A hundred years. This story has outlasted most people. The story has been alive longer than most people today. Do you think that fire was intentionally set? I think the fire had to be intentionally set. It's an empty mansion. There's vagrants and vandals. People are mean. So I think that's probably exactly what happened, unless maybe lightning. But given this circumstance, I would have to say it was probably it, somebody said it. So the mansion burns to the ground. Again, nobody was in the house. Nobody was in the mansion when it burned to the ground. Sounds like arson. However, this is just the start of the story. Over time, the land remains just that, farmland. Nobody ever rebuilt the mansion. The mansion site remained vacant. They never, they never did anything with it. They never rebuilt it. In fact, the foundation is still there to this day. The only remaining thing you'll see of the, of the building. There is a little post that signified the start of the road. So just the post and the foundation of the basement are all that remains of the mansion today. Is, there, is the basement filled in? The basement, it's kind of filled in. It's made out of sandstone, which was mined locally. So some dirt has kind of caved in, but it will sink down. It's maybe four feet deep. I wonder if there's anything below that, any artifacts or anything from, from the building. That's a fantastic question. While the mansion remained untouched, the girls' dormitory was torn down when a development went in 10 years ago. The boys' dormitory is now a residential house. They tore down the orphanage, the boys' dormitory, and they rebuilt just somebody's house. So there's no original structure there? There is no original structure. They're left anymore. So why is it haunted? Why does it have a reputation of being so haunted? Well, glad you asked, Mike. Let's talk about the reputation of this being haunted. Okay, so that's all the history part of it. 
That's the history part of it. Okay, so let's just talk about some of the rumors and the legends. So here's the legend, the popular legend, is that if you go down this deserted country road in the middle of the night, you go to there at midnight, you can still see the fire, the embers of the glowing fire. You can hear the anguished cries and screams of the kids passing away in the fire. Even though there was nobody in the building. Even though there was nobody in the building. But this is the rumor, right? These are those haunted house stories. These are the haunted houses story. And so the rumor was that there was an old man. And nobody's really sure. Some people think he was Reverend Sprunger, that he set the fire. Some people call this old man Gore who set the fire. And what he did was he went and locked all the children inside the orphanage, set fire to the orphanage. And then he made away in the cover of night with all the money from the orphanage, leaving the kids behind to die tragically inside the raging inferno. So now let's talk about how Gore Orphanage got its name. The word gore is simply a surveying error, a mistake somebody made when they were trying to survey land. And this is called Gore Orphanage Road. And why it's called Gore Orphanage Road is because when they were surveying the land, there was two competing townships. And so this land sits at the edge of a township. And when they surveyed these two townships, they had a piece of land left over. So one, one surveying crew was coming east, one was coming west. The resultant was a little triangle. And this little triangle is called a gore, G-O-R-E. Mm. So somehow it became Gore Road. Then it became Gore Orphanage Road, which it is today. Gore Orphanage is a long road, but it terminates at this location. So that's really where the name Gore Orphanage came into play. So the legend growing up was that if you went down there at night, you could see the fires and hear the anguished cries and the screams of these kids. I grew up in the area, and some of the legend stories that I heard was that there was a young couple that parked their car there and they decided to take a walk. It was a summer night and it was nice out. And before you know it, the girl became a little freaked out and she insisted that her date take her back to the car. So as they go back to the car, they open the door and she was kind of panicky at this point. She didn't know why. She was just a little panicky and she wanted to get out of there. So they open the door and they begin to hear a drip, drip, drip on the windshield, which was unusual. It was nice out a minute ago and they assume it's rain. But to their horror, as they look out, they see that it's blood on the windshield. And oh my gosh, there's an orphan hanging in the tree and somehow bleeding. I don't know how somebody being hung in a tree leads to them bleeding out, but this is the story. So have you gone down there in the middle of the night and seen these burning embers? Um, A guy like you who lived there? A guy like me. (laughs) Um, Yes, a guy like me has been down there in the middle of the night, but I have never seen the glowing embers. But I'm going to tell you a story about me going there in the middle of the night. Did you see an orphan? Hanging from I never, I was almost an orphan for going down there in the middle of the night, <laughs> okay. but no, I never saw an actual orphan. But there's a local psychic. I'm not going to mention the psychic's name, but she's very insistent that bad things happen. In fact, she insists that the Wilbur children had passed away on the site. In fact, they're buried there. So this psychic insists that this place has become an evil portal. She has had to cleanse several houses in the area to prevent this evil spirit that's said to exist down at Gore Orphanage. 
because of these four kids that are supposedly buried there. Yes, these four kids are buried there, but they're not buried horizontally. They're buried vertically up and down, mm. and they're buried head first as an insult to God. Wow. Now, I don't know how insulted God would be to have four kids buried. I mean, they're kids after all. Kids are supposed to be innocent, right? Yeah. So I don't know how, how true that is. But this psychic also said that an evil dark spirit is said to haunt the bridge. There's a bridge that goes over the river before you get to go orphanage. Now, of course, this bridge is also a supposed crybaby bridge. There's a lot of those. A lot of those in Ohio. <laughs> so there's a couple more rumors and stories. One of the stories is that uh, the graves glow at midnight along the riverbank of these poor kids that were somehow burned in the fire. I've never seen any glowing graves, but it's, again, it's one of the stories that I'd heard growing up. There's also stories of uh, glowing orbs of light shooting out from the trees. So the bridge going over the river leading to Gorfinage is called the Crybaby Bridge. And if you park your car and shut your car off, then you can't get it started. Well, I've done that many, many times, sometimes running out of gas. And that's why my car wouldn't start. But there's never been a circumstance where you just park there, shut your car off, and it won't start. It starts every single time. Let's talk about another story of how the fire started. You had asked the question earlier if it was arson, and certainly all the signs point to arson. But there is a cool twist to this story. That it was none other than Mrs. Mrs. Swift herself who mm -hmm. started the fire, and that she was seen escaping on horseback shortly after the fire started. In the reality, it just kind of makes for a... Makes for a fun story. Why would she start the fire? Because if she couldn't live at her beloved oh, Rosedale, nobody's going to okay. be living in her beloved Rosedale. Okay. Another rumor that has always survived when I was growing up is that there was rumors of cult activity with mysterious rituals and elaborate sacrifices. And the reality is there's probably not a lot of cult activity down there. I'm not suggesting cults don't exist. But if you're in a cult, probably the last place you're going to go is somewhere where teenagers congregate on a Saturday night. You're probably going to do it under the cover of uh, the cover of uh, darkness in, within your own home. It's doubtful you're going to go to Gorfinich. So I'm not sure how much I believe that story. Another story that has remained popular, especially even to this modern day, that if you visit after dark, sometimes a small baby's handprint can be seen on your car. Now, there's a little bit more to this story. There was a ranger who used to live next to Gorfinage. And this ranger worked for the Metro Parks, and he, it was routinely known that he would carry powder with him, and he would lay down and hide, no joke, at Gorfinage and wait for people to show up. And this guy was about six foot five. And he would go and sprinkle powder when everybody is out exploring the haunted mansion site, and he would put the edge of his palm against the and he would fabricate a little baby's handprint so when the teenagers would return to their car they would freak out because the baby has now been all over their car oh my gosh but that rumor has since been debunked by one of the rangers who lived off site so that never happened so that well it happened in the sense that he did it but it wasn't yeah, a baby it was a right. six foot five baby that was doing <laughs> it you can read into that however you want Today, a lot of people still continue to go down to Gorfinage. It's a popular spot. Everybody from the teenagers to ghost, hunter, ghost hunting groups. And it's developed a little subculture in and of itself. 
And a, and a trail of stories to go with And it. a trailer <laughs> full of stories. So I'm going to talk about a couple of uh, the Gorefinage stories of, of mine. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So let me tell you the Gorefinage story. Okay. Are, are you going to act it out? My, <laughs> I'm going to mime it out. Okay. Um, I grew up close to Gorefinage. And when I was growing up, it was Gorefinage was a rough place. It was not part of the Metro Parks. And so a lot of people would go down there to shoot off guns. When like, did it become part of the Metro Parks? It became part of the Metro Parks, I believe, in the early 90s. Okay. Also recently. I mean, not that long ago. Relatively recently. Okay. And I think Overland College may have deeded a lot of that land because Overland College owned a lot of that when we were growing up. But when, when I was growing up, it was a popular place if you had fireworks or a case of warm beer or a gun that you needed to shoot off. Gorefinage was your place. 3-2 beer? 3-2 beer. That's right. I had heard the reputation of Gorefinage, and we didn't really spend a lot of time down there on our bikes after dark because it was a rough place. There were people there with guns and beer, and it wasn't a place that was warm, friendly, and inviting. Not a good combination. Not a good combination. So when I would go down there, I always thought the stories and the legends were not true. Nothing ever happened to me. I've been down there plenty of times. Nothing ever happened. Okay, fast forward maybe 10 years ago. Now picture this. There was a young lady that I had asked out on a date. And she was kind of holding me off at arm's length. So the first date we're going to go to is kayaking. She had never been kayaking before. Okay, I kind of knew the Vermilion River enough that we're going to go kayaking on the Vermilion River. It was low that day. So it would be a great day for somebody who had never been kayaking before. But it's a bad day to go kayaking when you're probably, you know, you know you're going to scrape. The, the, the water level was dropping. Wow. Now, this was like a Tuesday. So as I'm the kind of fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy, I don't know if you knew that about me or not. Never, never noticed that. So as we're driving out toward the Vermilion River, in my mind, I know I have to do a lot of things logistically to make this trip happen. I have to pick up the kayaks, pick up life jackets, pick up paddles coordinate a ride where we're going to drop one vehicle and then we're going to start uh, at another point up the river. So I know this is going to take a while. It's not going to be a half hour trip. This is going to take a while. So, okay. So we drop the car and we start off kayaking. And it's, it's a lot of fun. The Vermilion River is gorgeous. Um, you can see everything from bald eagles to deer to raccoons, you name it, and you can see it on the river. So we're having a great time. She's having a great time, evidently. And she's, we'll call her a trifle high strung for the purpose of this conversation. She had claimed to be sensitive to psychic forces. It just tremendous anguish. She can feel people's emotions. I didn't believe her at all. She was getting this from like the Gore Orphanage because it was the area. She She felt like she was getting. She had never been to Gore Orphanage. Oh, okay. She knew nothing about Gore Orphanage. Knew nothing. That's interesting. So, yes. So, this is going to be a completely uh, new experience for her. So, it's just her and I, a Tuesday in summer, and this is a deserted area, okay? So, we set off kayaking. We're having a great time. I told her at some point in this trip, we're going to pass by a location that has a reputation. I'm not going to tell you what the reputation is, but just the story goes that something tragic happened there. And I want you to see if you can tell me where this place is. Simple as that. She's psychic. She, 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 if you're a psychic, you're going to be able to figure out. I'm kind of teasing her a little bit like, oh, sure, you're psychic. So, okay. Well, if she's psychic, she should probably know what the lottery, lottery numbers are too, right? <laughs> you would think. Okay. <laughs> 
So off we go, having a great time. There is a bridge just upstream of Gore Orphanage. And this bridge also has a little bit of a haunted reputation, but we're not going to focus on that. So as we go under this bridge, it's a beautiful summer night. You can hear the crickets. It's twilight. The sun is setting. It's a beautiful scene. We're paddling along this beautiful calm river. So as we paddle along, the sun is setting. Now I realize we're not going to make it back in time. That it's going to be very dark by the time we get back to the car. And all of a sudden, bats come out of nowhere. Bats descend upon us and they're eating the bugs off the river. And I can see them. They're flying all around me. I look over and they're flying all around my date as well. I call out to her. I said, hey, aren't these bats cool? Look at them. They're flying all around me. She wasn't wearing her glasses. And she said, are they flying around me too? And I thoughtfully said, no, they're just flying around me, knowing that she would lose her mind if all of a sudden she was surrounded by flying bats. So we, cur- we turn the corner in the river. No sooner do we turn the corner, it was like a movie. This weird fog rolls across the river and it's instantly dark. So you got bats and fog. Bats and we're miles from anywhere. There is nobody around. We're in a deserted river valley. There is nobody around for miles. Within an instant, she starts losing her mind. She said, I'm being overwhelmed by this, these emotions, this sadness, this terror, this tragedy. I, I, I can't breathe. And I can't paddle. So she's frozen in the middle of the river. Now, I think I'm a Polish superhero. And I can handle everything. And so I'm still Rico Suave. I'm still trying to save the date here. So, okay, here, let me help you to the side. And she's, I can't breathe. I can't move. So I take my kayak and I'm trying to kind of push her over to the side. Now, bear in mind, we're in the middle of nowhere. She has no idea where she's at. She's on a date with a creepy bald guy. And we're in, she's experiencing these emotions. She can't breathe and she can't paddle. And oh my gosh, life is, life is horrible. So, okay. So I'm trying to push her kayak over to the edge of the river. And with my kayak, knowing in the back of my mind, the, the rumors and reputation that Gore Orphanage has. And we're at Gore Orphanage. We're at the exact spot where all of this tragedy supposedly took off. And her, the psychic, is now losing her mind. And so it's all kind of coming true. As I'm paddling over, the fog's rolling in. I glance to my right. I can see a dark figure moving Mm. along the river. And it's like a shadow figure. And what's weird about this figure is that it doesn't have a cadence to it. It's not bobbing up and down. It's floating or gliding along. And it looked like it was carrying the same pace as me. A human show form? Yes, like a human form. Now, I didn't see a face. I didn't see a hand i didn't say anything like that just this i'm still trying to help her out and i just glance over and i see this weird shadow form and it doesn't help your comfort level when all of a sudden you're seeing black shadows I see that bobbing yeah. along the river and you're trying to still help uh help this uh panic woman so i get her over to the side and i get over to the side and i take my kayak out no i have to get her out and kind of rescue her So she's in her kayak and we're at the base of the crybaby bridge, the same bridge where the psychic warned that there was a dark figure that guards the bridge. Mm. So here's the dark figure that guards the bridge. And I just saw this dark figure gliding along the riverbank. So I hop out of my kayak and I go to pull her out of her kayak. She can't get out. 
Now, granted, she'd never been cocking before. She has no idea where she's at. She's on a date with a creepy weird guy. So as I try to lift her out of her kayak, I can't do it. She says, her words, somebody is holding me down. Wow. Not someone, somebody. And she said they have my ankle. And it's just like a horror movie that's playing out. Right. That somebody's grabbing her and holding her under this bridge. She's at the foot of this bridge. I'm with all my strength. I had a really hard time. Put my hands on her arms, trying to lift her out of the kayak as hard as I can. She can't. It's as if somebody's holding her down. With all my might, with one giant heave, I grab her, throw her onto the shore like a dead carp, and then grab her kayak and throw her up, uh, throw the kayak on the shore too. Fortunately, my sister was in the area. She kind of lives close by, so she was able to come right down and give us a ride and get us out of the situation. But as we looked down, my date had arm like had handprints around her ankles. That's spooky. She had hand, like marks. Yeah, it was spooky. It was very creepy and weird. But that is my gore orphanage story. Wow. That is really crazy. Sounds like something's hanging around over there. Something is hanging around. Wow. Pretty spooky. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. That was our gore orphanage story. We hope you enjoyed it. I did. I thought they were, that was really interesting. <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. That was another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. If you enjoyed this story and want to hear more stories like this, check out ohiomysteries.com. With over 500 episodes to choose from, they have everything from the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run all the way to the Moonville Tunnel. I'm Dan. You can find my YouTube channel at North Coast History and Haunts. Many of the locations that we talk about on Ohio Mysteries Backroads can be found on YouTube, so check it out. My partner Mike is on Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. He also has a lot of information about the stories we feature here. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains. We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.